Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. And Orange Theory Fitness, delivering fitness results for a healthier world. From Mansers on the Boulevard in Baton Rouge, we're out to lunch with editor of the Baton Rouge Business Report, Stephanie Regal. It's business Baton Rouge style. Hi, I'm Stephanie Regal. Welcome to Out to Lunch. Technology is taking over so many aspects of our lives, from things like basic accounting and word processing to retail to even building custom cabinetry. It can be intimidating and hard to get your mind around until you understand what computers and robots are all about and how to make them work for you. Logan Leger has such an understanding. He's a software engineer and entrepreneur in Baton Rouge who founded the software development firm New Aperio back in 2010 after a few failed attempts at founding internet startups. Logan was just a college student at LSU at the time. Today, he is CEO of a company that creates and markets apps for the web and for smartphones. In the past seven years, New Aperio's clients have grown both locally and nationwide. In fact, the company recently opened an office in Denver, Colorado. Logan, it's an impressive story. Thanks for being here on Out to Lunch today. Uh, Thanks for having me. Mike Gennaro is another aspiring young entrepreneur who is also using technology, but in quite a different way. Mike designs and builds custom cabinetry through his company Barn Dog Mill, which he founded in 2011. What's unique about Mike and Barn Dog Mill is that it utilizes robotic technology with a CNC machine to help make cabinetry, which enables the company to be more efficient and therefore less expensive while still maintaining the standards of beautiful handcrafted wooden cabinetry. Now, CNC stands for Computer Numerical Control, in case you were wondering, and it's basically a process of using computers to control the tools like the lathes and the mills and the routers. Mike's going to explain it all to us and what kind of market out there there is for these products. So, Mike, welcome to Out to Lunch. Thank you very much. Well, Logan, we'll start with you. Your first idea was a failure, an app you and your partner created that didn't work out. So how did you turn this failure into the success that you are today? Yeah, so uh, it's always fun to talk about failures. (laughs) I typically say that my previous ventures had varying levels of success, which is a much nicer way of putting it. (laughs) But yeah, so I think failure teaches us a lot um, about how to how to grow and how to become get better. And there were a lot of failures. Um, We we I started several uh, software as a service, you know, um, type companies and. Some of them were, you know, it was product market fit. We couldn't find a good market for it, even though the product is great. Or uh, some of them were failures of not being able to raise enough money to build the product how we wanted. Um, so there are a lot of different, you know, things that we did that that we learned from, and then sort of coming out of that, realized that the skills that I had big picked up building the products were extremely valuable and so other people were asking asking me like hey can you can you build an app for me I see you doing it for yourself I'm like sure yeah and so um so it just kind of stuck and the the service started growing and and that's really how it started so what kinds of apps do you have like a special type of app that you're known for or maybe your most famous one yeah, so a lot of the work that we do is in um, the health or medical or um, sort of lifestyle wellness industries um, or in education industries. So those are our, our two primary uh, sectors that we serve. One of our, our uh, big projects right now, we actually are working with um, 
the government to produce some apps that uh, help their um, employees um, uh, stay stay in shape and stay healthy and um, improve improve their lives so it's very health focused it's backed by a research team that's actually out at Pennington um, so they did they did the research that um, that created uh, to, to create the health and wellness system in order to improve the lives of, of um, these people and uh, we basically commercialized it turned it into a product oh that's very very cool well well speaking of, of cool cutting-edge things Mike you work with robots to build cabinetry. Do you program these robots and tell them what to do, or is this a, a software that you bought that tells your machines how to cut the wood and design it and do whatever it does? Well, uh, about a year and a half ago, uh, it was just me in the garage, and this huge truck pulls up in the country on Sunnyside Lane, Zachary, okay. Louisiana, and it had the most incredible machine on it, and I had no idea how to use it. I just knew that the possibility was there that if I could figure this thing out, uh, that we could cash flow over and above the note on it. And uh, so the CNC arrived, and okay. they plopped it right in my driveway and said, you need to get a, a forklift to bring this in that shop. And I said, oh no. <laughs> we got it in there, and uh, all of a sudden it was just game on. My wife started to watch it, kind of collect some dust <laughs> as I was learning and right uh, one step at a time it, it comes with software it's just okay. a big metal four by eight machine with a robotic uh, router on it okay and so uh, the first time I used it I, uh, I hit the button to say start and it went and it took that that big cutter and it turned it on and it uh, like dominoes it knocked over all of these expensive bits across oh no. the way so oh no. there are definitely uh, I had my share of failures with that as well but now I'm to the point where I can draw something on software uh, artistically and then put that into the program and it will cut it out successfully very very cool now were you in the cabinetry business before you went digital with it I was kind of a hardcore uh, furniture maker, and I, okay. I didn't really want to be in cabinetry until the flood happened, and we hired someone, and I felt that, that pressure for the first time of having to, to make sure somebody else got paid, um, and I really found a love of it, so we started making cabinetry, and then after the flood kind of... Uh, all of that pressure from having to get those orders out very quickly kind of died down. I was back to furniture making and cabinetry. So. Okay, so you do both now. Yes, cabinetry is our bread and butter, and we want to be known for that, but I can't give up the, that artistic side of furniture yet. And, and the machines, the robotic machines, the CNC, makes it more efficient. Mm. How? Incredibly. So uh, in the past, I, I would take maybe three weeks to make... A credenza for somebody mm -hmm. <laughs> it's usually three days for a table or something but uh, now we can print out an entire kitchen in a day Wow it, it's I call it printing because it it actually takes plywood and it, it cuts it out and it's like you receive a printout of all of these parts and so the the labor now goes into screwing the parts together and we get to I say focus on all of the finer details like dovetail joinery if we still want to do that Right, right, right. Um, but the CNC machine does. So, does it take the artisanship out of the, you know, out of the craft itself? That's the first thing people started to ask me. They're <laughs> oh like, God, oh, I'm glad I asked. I used to be question. called a handmade, uh, what, what was it, handcrafted home furnishings right. at first, and uh, 
you know, I struggled with that a little bit, and then I was like, no, this is just too cool. I don't care anymore. I just, <laughs> I really love to just make things and push it into a computer. And, and it looks good. Yeah, and also my specialty is robotics. I just, I love that part of it. Now, speaking so. of making, Logan, do you actually make, develop the software yourself for the apps that you sell? Yeah, totally. So we, we have, uh, there are foundational building blocks, you know, that you're, the computer has the, the, the underlying like processor and then everything else, and we, we build the, the software from scratch to, to lay on top of that. Um, so it is very much you know taking you know very much like uh, like he will take a um, you know he'll take like wood and, and mm -hmm. nails and stuff and put it together. We've got our own wood and nails and, and sort of build things based on those building blocks that we have. Very very cool. Now y'all both have such unique names for your companies: New Aperio and Barn Dog Mill. What's the story behind these great names? <laughs> yeah, so Aperio is a Latin word which means to discover. Um, and so we sort of, the w way we think about uh, what we do for our clients is to help them discover their potential or discover, you know, what they want to do through either web or mobile. Um, so the new part of it um, is just to signify that technology changes so rapidly yes. and it changes on a, on a daily, sometimes hourly basis. And we have to constantly keep ourselves fresh and, and, uh, and you know, in the, in the know of what's changing and what the new stuff, stay on the cutting edge. So that, that new on, on the front there just emphasizes, you know, that, that fact. Interesting. What about the barn dog mill? Uh, well, I have a confession to make. I'm, I, it it kind of <laughs> sounds country and all, but I'm a city boy from Metairie. I, okay. All the way. And uh, we moved out to Zachary, and I just, I was really feeling the, the whole... Uh, <laughs> the bucolic thing. Yeah, huh? I, wanted to, I wanted to fit in so bad. Uh, so we had a garden shed. And it looked kind of like a barn, and I had a, a dog. My father-in-law would come over, and he said, that dog looks like he's made out of spare parts. So it was me, the dog, and a mill. So I said, there's a barn, a dog, and a mill. I'm barn dog mill. <laughs> it so. does. It sounds cool. It yeah. really sounds It sounds even cooler than the story behind it is. Huh? <laughs> How much does it cost um, to get an app made, Logan? It's uh, it really ranges, um, <clears throat> you know the the complexity behind behind app. It's you know it's it's like an engineering project. We can take on a project and it'll take us you know six weeks or eight weeks, or it could take us an entire year. Really, it really varies. Um, a lot of the stuff that we do, um, like one of our core focuses, is in, in sort of medical and, and health. And a lot of those projects are very technical, and, and they're you know there's a lot of science involved, and so really digging into them takes a lot of time. And so it, you know, they end up being you know very extensive projects. Um, so it really it really varies on uh, depending on the. Uh, depending on the, the complexity of the project, but it's definitely more than you would expect for a website to cost, but um, you know, less than you would expect to spend when you're you know, like constructing a building or something. So you're not gonna answer the question, in other words? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's just such a, there's so many variables. Yeah. I, I would hate to like give you numbers oh. and then like, you know, be, you know. Try me, yeah. you can. <laughs> but you all work for big, Big big clients. I mean, so, hospitals or well, yeah, clinics so our, our or client, healthcare companies. Our clients range. We we do work with startups a lot. I mean, one of our core passions, obviously, I'm an, I'm an entrepreneur as well as is helping entrepreneurs. So we'll we'll work with companies who are just getting off the ground. It's like one or two people um, trying to put together their first version of their product. We do a lot of that um, for our our bigger clients. You know, some of our bigger clients are some of the biggest corporations in the world. So it really. Is wow. a huge range. So you'll have people come to you with an idea for an app that can be really great or really stupid, or yeah. So that yeah, actually, <laughs> we we get that a lot. People come to us and just like pitch an idea, and 
you know, sometimes I'm like, okay, I've heard this idea like 14 times, and you know, it's it's not it's not, it's a not gonna work. Idea. <laughs> but but actually, you know, if we it's a it's an interesting topic because I think over the seven years that I've done this, you know, people always find find me whenever they're starting to think about technology. And when I first started doing this, the quality of ideas that people were coming to me with were very low. They just weren't very good ideas. And now, seven years later, like I'm starting to get people come to me that have like, legitimately great ideas. Like these are these are high class ideas that you would expect to find coming out of like Silicon Valley. So that's so interesting. Is that yeah. because this market is maturing, or just oh, because totally. people are more sophisticated and used to apps? Yeah, I think that's what it is. It's just a People, I think the the whole market is maturing. People are understanding the technology better as they use it on a daily basis. And so, whenever they see a problem, they're like, "Oh, this could be made way better by uh, the existence of an app." Um, or they say, "I have this problem. An app could fix this." And I, I think that's sort of where it's coming from. Now, as a software developer, what you learned in school seven to ten years ago, probably a lot of that is outdated by now. How do you? Uh, stay current. I mean, y'all don't yeah, have totally. CE courses like lawyers or social right. workers or doctors do. I mean, you, do you have to just keep up with industry trends? Yeah, so that's a good own? question. A lot of it is, you know, we go to we go to developer conferences and things of that nature. But we spend so we spend actually four days of our work week on client work, and that last day we spend on our continuing education. So twenty percent of our time is spent experimenting with new technologies and new processes and learning new things so that we can then go and employ those uh, for, for our clients. But you're right. I mean, what I learned in school was not really applicable anymore, but the uh, what they teach you in engineering school is how to think and how to solve problems. That's and great. so, like, the, the nature of the education is incredibly relevant because... I, you know, all I do all day is solve problems, yeah. either solving it for clients or solving it in my own business. So that, that education was very valuable. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Stephanie Regal. We're talking to Logan Leger of New Aperio and Mike Gennaro of Barn Dog Mill. We'll be right back after this very short break. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Stephanie Regal. We're talking to Logan Leger of New Aperio and Mike Gennaro of Barn Dog Mill. Now, Mike, in terms of your, your background in education, how did you learn how to do this? Well, uh, <laughs> I'm a philosophy graduate oh, from the University <laughs> of New Orleans, um, but I'm, I take even more pride in being a law school failure. Oh. So. <laughs> uh, Congratulations. Oh, thank you. Thank you. But uh, in, in law school, they kind of gave us a little bit of a, a business. I got a business background there, right? I'll never forget. There was this professor, um, Professor Litvinoff. He said, "Mr. Gennaro." He called me Mr. Soprano, actually. <laughs> Mr. Soprano, you will either keep your girlfriend or you will fail law school. So I kept the girlfriend and I <laughs> failed law school, and then we got married and moved to the country and started this company so you a few years right, later. Right, right, so you made the right choice. I think he wanted me to, to keep the girlfriend. I, I, he passed away you know, since then, but I, I look upon that, that talk with him fondly. Yeah. Um, but education, uh, nothing prepared me really for woodworking other than just kind of playing around with mm -hmm. things and and experimenting artistically. And my father used to take float-in uh, pieces of lumber and he would make guitars out of those. So he was... Nice. Yeah, he kind of just piddled around with wood and everything. And that was where it sort of came from. Sure. Well, y'all, this is a 
a, a point in the show where we take a little break and, and it's called the best advice. So I ask you a question like, you know, a lot of times we all know somebody who has advice for you. And sometimes it's really great advice about a, you know, a, a business meeting you should go to, a guy you have to meet. Other times this advice turns out to be not so great. Who has given you advice that you've either taken and it's turned out well or you haven't taken and maybe that turned out well or maybe you wish you had? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. Um, you know, we call we call on on our you know on our, our community to, to help us as we as we're going through things, and um, I think probably so one 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 specific instance that's that's really prominent in my mind. Um, I w- so when I was in college and I had started the company, things started going well, and I was in engineering school, which was brutally brutally <laughs> difficult, bad. and I was also trying to run a company, which is also brutally difficult. So I was you know, constantly uh, busy and stressed. And I, at a certain point, I realized that, you know, our company is growing and we're successful. And my the limiting factor here is my inability to be fully committed to it because I'm also in school. And so I had a really, like, a really big moment in my life where I was like, okay, maybe I should drop out. Maybe I need to, what I need to do is to drop out and not finish my degree and go full-time in the business and really commit to it. And, um, so I, I had actually started like the process of dropping out of school. It was it was a decision that I had made. Um, I didn't re- I didn't really tell my family yet, but I, I had made this decision. And so I was on campus one night, and uh, I think this was my ju- probably my junior year, and it was during like a finals period or something where I was really under a lot of stress. And my uh, walking around campus late at night, my grandfather called me out of nowhere, right, and uh, just started talking. He's like, "What's what's up? Tell me tell me how things are going." And um, so I was telling him, I was like, look, I'm under a lot of stress. Things are really difficult. And he said, like, look, uh, if it wasn't worth having, if the degree wasn't worth having, it, it wouldn't be uh, hard to get. Yeah. And I think that I look back on that moment because I decided to stay in school. I mean, he, he really pushed me to say, like, look, get, having a degree is worth something, and it's, it's valuable to finish. And, um, and because of that, I stayed in school, and I am, I am glad for it because – I learned a ton in engineering school that ended up being very helpful. And having that brand of LSU behind me and that piece of paper that says, yes, I am qualified to do, do this work, um, has really been a boon in my business. That's a wonderful story. I love that. What about you, Mike? Do you have an equally compelling story? Uh, okay, after the law school failure, <laughs> I, I remembered riding in my, my uncle's vehicle. I was doing property management for him. His name is Uncle George, George Bahi in <laughs> Baton Rouge. <laughs> and uh, he, he's, he was teaching me about real estate and everything. And I was working with him in the summer. And he knew I was kind of disappointed in myself at that time, just looking for, for some sort of uh, career. And he said, Mike, if you could write your ticket right now, just write your ticket. You could go anywhere you want. Go to any program that you want in the world. What would you, what would you do? And I said, I, I would like to be a shopkeeper, Uncle George. <laughs> <laughs> I had just had so, I had had my fill of school and everything, and uh, he was disappointed with the answer. But I said, No, I mean it. I want to go home and and raise a family, and I want to be around my wife. And and my son was young at that time, and, and so I just made furniture in the garage and. From there, the business has grown and everything has kind of worked itself yeah. out. And we did, we did take his advice and, and invest in real estate along the way to kind of hedge ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was important. That was good advice. Yes, very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, but 
I think ultimately staying true to that, write your own ticket, whatever it is, even if you're going to be a shopkeeper, you can still win, you can still make money, you can still have a wonderful life. Very nice. Are you ultimately heading towards building a furniture factory? Is that the long-term goal? I don't know how big we should get. I, we're ultimately headed towards client a, a, a complete client satisfaction experience. I don't want to be categorized with those people who, those, those other outfits who disappoint people or get complaints. I mean, it seems to me, and I could be totally off on this, but, yeah. you know, in Baton Rouge at least, you have this really high-end segment of the market, mm-hmm. gorgeous, you know, and they fancy custom design cabinetry the furniture the whole thing and then you've got the stuff you buy at the furniture store and there doesn't seem to be a lot of middle you know middle price point quality that's not junk it's nice looking but not this over the top is that true and where do y'all fit into that spectrum we like to fit into the higher end of the spectrum Mm -hmm. I, i like to tell the clients that we're high end right now but uh i'll I'll borrow something from the the tech uh industry and just say we're kind of like a a freemium model a little bit we offer uh well for a long time we offered free dovetails with every single build and dovetails are just this really old world joinery that happens right where the the two panels meet on a on a custom drawer okay so i would give those away to everybody you wouldn't have to pay a dime more and as we kind of have gone along then the prices have gradually kind of crept up, but people understand who we are now. So they're not, they're not paying a super high premium mm-hmm. for us, but they know what they're going to get when they come and see us. What's the competition like for new Aperio? Yeah, it's interesting. So actually in this, in this market, there are not a, a lot of companies like ours. There are um, not, I don't think. No, it's it's uh, it's it's really nice, <laughs> yeah. uh, but it's also I think uh, it's also difficult because it shows the lack of sophistication in the market mm-hmm. and lack of and lack of you know size of the market to be honest, um, which is partially why we have tried to move out of the market and go to places like Denver, um, where we recently established an office because the the market is not big enough to sustain a level of growth that we want to get to. Really? Yeah. And what about like regionally? I mean, can you move into New Orleans yeah, or say totally. Lafayette or even just nearby Jackson or Little Rock or something? So, yeah, no, there there I think regionally there's a there's a decent sized market. You know, you look at places so one of our, our niches is, is medical, and so we can look at, like, okay, Birmingham has a big medical market, so we can move into that market. I think there are a lot of opportunities for us um, regionally, for sure, but it is definitely a, it's definitely a, we have found that we're sort of bumping up against the, the ceiling of what we would say is, like, you know, our, our, our high-end growth potential here, because we're, we're getting most of the work that we want to get locally. You know, and there's been so much talk here about building a tech ecosystem. Totally. And when IBM came here back in 2013, it was transformative game changer, or so yeah. they said. Yeah. Uh, talking to software developers like yourself and other tech companies here, it hasn't happened yet. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, I think that's a fair statement. Uh, I think IBM coming here was sort of... We thought it was sort of the harbinger, right? It's like this is the first um, big tech company that is going to plant some roots here and they're going to hire people. Because I think the biggest thing for us is having the, the level of talent that comes out of LSU and even UL and some of these other schools in computer science is keeping them here. And we can't do that yet because there's not enough, uh, there wasn't enough jobs. But IBM has sort of helped to build some of those jobs and we're starting to see the numbers. So there is actually 
we are actually outpaced. So now we have too many jobs for not enough talent. And so we sort of inverted the problem. And that's a very good thing. The problem is we just need to get the quality of jobs higher. Because yeah. if you actually look locally, um, salaries are are way too low for a city of our size. Which, like, okay, like Baton Rouge is a cheaper place to live than Silicon Valley. But even for that disparity, the salaries are still too low. Too low. <laughs> it's still way too low. And I think part of that problem are the companies that we lured here are just not are just not incentivized to offer that high high level of uh, and of they job. thought they could come here and find cheap labor exactly labor, exactly me. that was that is definitely Podunk, Hayseed, Baton Rouge will totally get lots of tax breaks in a big new building and hire people on the cheap yeah and I'll tell you one of the things that I'm concerned about is when you start to dig into deals like these um Tech, tech companies are not, you know, they're not like an Exxon that comes and puts roots here because they spend a billion dollars and they build a plant that they can't just move, right? right? You have to stay here for a while and get your get your return off of that investment. Well, com- tech companies don't really put down those kind of roots. And so one thing that I'm concerned about is if you look at some of these deals that we have made, which at the time I was a huge proponent of, uh, they've done these deals all over the country. And as soon as they expire, they leave. And I think yeah. that is something that... I'm not saying that we shouldn't do these deals. I'm saying that's something that we need to factor in a little bit better because I'm not sure that we have. So uh, it's a it's a very it's a very interesting question. I think ultimately my hope is that we see more homegrown tech companies. I spoke earlier about how some of these ideas we have are getting really really good. I think what we should do instead is invest in our local companies because if we do that, guess what? Local companies don't leave. Yeah. They put down roots here and they stay. And so if we can incentivize the community and build it up uh, from inside out, I think the rest will follow. That's such a great point. Local companies like Barn Dog Mill for instance, <laughs> um, how is how is Baton Rouge as a place to do business for you, Mike? Good market? Absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. So we just took a trip to Austin uh, two weeks ago. And it's kind of funny. It was actually on a prompting. You, you had reposted an article from some gentleman that, <laughs> that, that wrote about, uh, is Baton Rouge a good place to continue to do business? Mm-hmm. And... You know, on my way out, I was like, no, maybe it's not. I don't know. Uh, maybe I'm getting sick of this. I get to Austin, and I see that these the South Downs-type box homes, you know, like a, a 1,500 to 2,000-square-foot home there, costs about a half a million dollars over right. there or more. Um, you know, wherever I travel, I always like to pick up new ideas and imagine myself in that market. And in Austin, I just I couldn't. Uh, possibly imagine getting a shop space anywhere. I, my rent is so low on Highway 19 on the way to, to slaughter right yeah. now. Um, so there's opportunity here. You, we can afford to pay our guys and, and girls better here mm-hmm. uh, and provide a, a decent living for them while still paying all of our bills and producing great products. All right. Well, Mike Gennaro and Logan Leger, it's good to know that young, talented entrepreneurs such as yourselves are helping to grow the tech ecosystem and the local crafts by using technology. And your companies bring a lot to Baton Rouge. So thanks for sharing your stories today on Out to Lunch. It was an honor. Thank you. My guests today on Out to Lunch have been Logan Leger of New Aperio and Mike Gennaro of Barn Dog Mill. You can find out more about New Aperio and Barn Dog Mill by following the links on our website. It's batonrouge.la and wrkf.org. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Our associate producer is Peter Raschuti. And our Baton Rouge business consultants are Charlie D'Agostino and Ann Edelman. 
You can see photos from this show on itsbatonrouge.la and on our Facebook page. These photos are taken by Ken Stewart. You can get this show as a podcast, you can listen to past shows, and you can keep up with us on all kinds of social media by going to our websites, itsbatonrouge.la and wrkf.org. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsbatonrouge.la and WRKF 89.3 FM. I'm Stephanie Regal. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the table here at Mansur's for more business Baton Rouge style on Out to Lunch. Out to Lunch Baton Rouge is recorded live over lunch at Mansur's on the Boulevard in Baton Rouge. Mansur's is open for lunch daily 11 to 2, for dinner nightly, and for brunch on Saturdays and Sundays. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at MitchellForeman.com. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base joneswalker.com and by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas, and Orange Theory Fitness, delivering fitness results for a healthier world. 